Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Y'all doing all right? Yeah, good to see everybody today. Um, Do me a favor really quick. If you have your Bible, can you turn to Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1. Hallelujah. All right, let's pray, guys. Jesus, we so thank you for today. Uh, Father, I absolutely confess I really need your help at this moment. So, Lord, would you come with your anointing? Would you come with your presence? God, would you come and settle in this room? Father, we're people who are hungry. We're people who uh, just want the real thing, Lord. We don't want fake Christianity. We want to know you. We want to walk with you in a real way. And so, Father, whatever obstacles are in the way that are hindering us from doing that, Lord, we pray that you would expose them and remove them so we can love you the way you desire to be loved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all found Romans chapter 1 yet? Awesome. Look at verse 16 with me if you can. It simply says this. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Somebody say gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Then it goes, for it is the righteousness. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I love that verse. Amen? So listen, if you were here last week, then maybe you remember us talking about uh, we were going to intentionally, for lack of a better word, uh, we were going to uh, dive into the heart or dive into the center of the gospel, uh, which I firmly wholeheartedly believe is rooted in the question of why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? Now listen, I don't know about you, but I personally believe if we're ever going to not just, uh, you know, be unashamed of the gospel, but if we're ever going to be able to understand the gospel, then we have to start by answering that single question, why did Jesus die? Amen? So what I want to do this morning for the next few minutes, if, if you were here last week, uh, you'll, you'll find I'm going to revisit some things that I said last week, and I want to do that because there's people here that weren't here last week, so we'll kind of bring them up to speed. But I also want to repeat those things for us that were here because I believe sometimes repetition is the best teacher. Amen? So, so we're going to do that, and then I'll drop a few, uh, you know, a couple of new things that uh, I want to say, things that have just kind of filled my heart this morning, uh, some things I just can't shake. I don't have it all figured out, uh, but, but they won't leave me alone, so I'm going to say it. Amen? All right, so back to the question, why did Jesus die? Well, obviously, there's two foundational uh, answers to that profound question, and the first one is this, is he chose to die, number one, for our sin. Somebody say sin. Listen, we know this is true because the Bible clearly says in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, for just the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us or he might reconcile us back to God. Now, the second reason we said last week that Jesus chose to die was for, for this. It was to establish his lordship in our lives. Somebody say lordship. lordship. Listen, we know this is true because Romans 4.9 says this. It says, Christ died. And he rose again for this very purpose. If it says that, we need to pay attention, yeah? It says, for Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord. So, listen, by these two verses and a whole 
a lot more like them, we can understand that it is that basically the heart of the gospel. We understand that Jesus died so that he could become our Lord and our Savior, right? And the Bible obviously backs this up and brings both of these together in Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord, if Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe. Believe in what? In Christ as Savior is what the Amplified says. It says that you'll be justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. Good verse. So, all right, so here's where I want to kind of uh, bring us to at this moment. We can see from those verses that, that Jesus died because he desires to uh, fulfill, or we can say firmly hold, two separate yet significant roles in our lives. He wants two roles in your life. The first one is this, is obviously he longs to be your Savior. He longs to be your Savior. Now, I understand that when we start talking about everything that Jesus did from a theological standpoint of view, uh, it, it really supersedes our natural understanding. But the reality is, as Savior of the world, Jesus really did love you so much that he decided to take your place on the cross. Which meant that as your substitute, in other words, you sinned, you sinned, you sinned, you sinned, and punishment had to come for that sin. And Jesus said, hold up, Father, I got this one, right? And so he bore 100% of our sin in his own body. He stepped up the plate so you and I didn't have to. Great place to say amen. Now, obviously, by doing this, it allowed the Father to do something that he couldn't have done otherwise. It allowed the Father to do this, to extend mercy towards us instead of judgment. Right, and listen, it's in that mercy where we not only find forgiveness for our sins, but it's also there where we realize that because of what Jesus did for us, we have been rescued from an eternal damnation called hell. Hell is real, heaven is real, right? We can't say heaven is real and think hell's not. They're both real, okay? So listen, that's why the Bible says this, talking about the rescue. It says in Colossians 1.13, it says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, that's hell, and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. You see, it's in this thing called salvation, or we can say that it's in this kingdom where we discover that we've not only been made new, but it's also there where we find our identity as God's child. It's there where we realize, uh, you know, how we should live our lives from ethics to morals. And it's there where we find our purpose and our meaning in life. And it's ultimately we understand that it's in that kingdom is where Jesus said that he's going to go and where we know that he is currently preparing a place for us to spend eternity with him. Now listen, I don't know about you, but to me, all that sounds like really good news. There's about five of us convinced that that's really good news. <laughs> listen, I, I don't know about you, but man, I'm just so grateful, man, that, that I have a Savior. And I'm not saying that lightly, man, I, I'm just, I am so grateful, right? So, so let me even say this, if I could take a bunny trail. I, I was sitting in the office the other day with uh, some people, and I was talking. And I was talking about basically when, when I came to the Lord. And I remember when basically I was in, um, man, I was under a rock. It was ugly. I was, I was, I was in some bad shape. I'll just leave it at that. And, and uh, uh, this kid that I went to school with, because I, I was in the 11th grade, he basically said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Long story short, I got saved. But here's what I found out. When I went back to school, after I gave my life to Jesus, the, the table that I sat at every week, you know, literally every day at school at the lunchroom table, I found out that all those jokers were saved. They were all Christians. 
that I used to sit there and talk about what I did with this person and, and what I drank here and what I smoked there and what I did, right? Like, I was, oh, and I was all stupid and, you know, bragging about it and all that stuff. And they never once told me, hey, man, you might want to think about Jesus. In my opinion, that's people who aren't grateful for a Savior. Amen? So listen, that's the first role that he wants to establish in our lives, which is amazing. Uh, but he also longs to uh, be firmly established as our Lord, right? Our Lord. Now, like I mentioned last week, when we talk about why Jesus died, so many people, they get over, uh, overly fixated on their sins, so much so that they actually forget that Jesus died for more than their sins. Listen, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus endured the affliction of the cross because he wanted us, because he wanted you and he wanted me. Me. That's why Paul wrote this in Titus 2.14. He says this. It's talking about Jesus. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. Boy, aren't you thankful for that? To cleanse us. That's grace. That's mercy. And to make us his very own people, as, or as other translations say, to make us his own possession. Now, listen, I don't know what imagery the word possession stirs up in you, Okay. But, but when I hear that word, obviously there's loads of things come to my mind. But, but, but I automatically think about something that probably every one of us in here that are of age already have. And it's called a vehicle, right? How many of you guys, maybe hand at me if you have an automobile. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you don't, Wayne will sell you one, okay? So some, <laughs> some, of y'all, some of y'all don't, but my man there, he'll hook you up. All right? All right, so if, if you can't think about this, those that have it or those who know what it's like, whatever, uh, think about this with me for a second. Um, every time that, you, that you, you know, walk out of your house and you open up the car door to your vehicle, right, and you sit in the driver's seat and you crank the car, right, you start the engine, at that moment, does your vehicle determine or does your vehicle tell you where you're going to go? Or, or, or somehow do you determine where it goes by a combination of the steering wheel and a gas pedal? Talk to me, right? So, so listen, I, I think, listen, unless you have, you know, unless you own Herbie the Love Bug or you own, you know, Kit from Knight Rider, whatever, right? I'm an 80s child, right? So, li- listen, unless you have that, uh, you, you're the one controlling your car. You're the one directing it. You're the one in control. You bought the car. Uh, it's your possession. It's not the other way around. Uh, you know, you own it. It had known you. You get the point, Right. So, listen, if we realize or not, I believe that's what Paul is trying to get across to us in Titus chapter 2. That he's letting us know that the exact moment when you and I accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we also became God's possession, which makes him our master, our king, our Lord, and the supreme authority of our lives. Amen? So, listen, as much as our flesh doesn't like hearing that, he owns us. We're his, right? So, which means he's now in control, right? He's in charge of our lives. He's the boss. He has dominion over us. We don't have dominion over him. So, so what happens is we understand that he's the one that's the king, and he's the one that has the power, and he's the one that has dominion. Then guess what? Our highest goal in life is to now walk with him, right, so that we can please him, and we can do what he wants, when he wants, and the way he wants it. I hope you're hearing me today. Listen, Paul said this in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. We're not going to have it up on the screen, but he simply said this. I love this verse. He says, therefore, we make it our aim. In other words, this is the target we're shooting at. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. 
That everything I say, everything I do, man, the goal is to please my master. Amen? That's what it means to have a Lord. I hope you hear me today. Listen, I realize when some people, like, like once again, we like the Savior, we struggle with the Lord. And, and, and I, I realize because a lot of that, when we start talking about own possession, all of that, some people that sounds like bondage. And the reality is, is quite the opposite is true. That's really where we find true freedom, right? Because as many of us in this room have, exp- have experienced, God has the ability to make something beautiful and something good out of our lives. He has the ability to lead us to something better than we've ever dreamed of if we'll let him. Like literally all we have to do is go remember where we used to be and now look where our lives are at today. I think he can do better than we can. Amen? So, so listen, I just think we have to be mature enough to understand that when God calls us his own possession, he isn't talking about a form of slavery. All right? Uh, you know, I think this, like the, the difference between, uh, you know, us and that car analogy, right? I mean, obviously, that's a pretty poor analogy. But, but the difference is, is we have a free will, right, that allows us to either do two things, to disobey or to obey, right? So, so we can either choose to obey joyfully and willfully, and, and, you know, or we can choose to be uh, rebellious and disobey. But, but I think there's no doubt when you stop to look at it, there's a huge difference, huge difference between the fruit of obedience and the fruit of disobedience. I personally like to taste the fruit of obedience better than the fruit of disobedience. Amen? So listen, on that note, uh, listen to 1 John with me if you can. 1 John chapter 5 says, and this is what God has testified. This is what he's declaring to you. He says, he's given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Get it? It is in his son. Y'all know we are in Christ, right? It says in verse 12, it says, whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Does that sound like some God that's a harsh taskmaster? Doesn't to me, right? So, so listen, I, I think this, there's nothing about slavery that gives you warm goosebump feelings about life, right? That sounds a whole lot like death. So listen, all, all I'm trying to say is God wants to give you life. That's why Jesus also said this in Matthew 16. Once again, notice the Lordship piece here. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Uh-oh. Take up your cross and follow me. Once again, he's talking about lordship. Watch verse 25. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Or as some translations say, you will find it. How many of you guys rather have life than death? Yeah. Amen. So listen, I, I know all this might sound to some people like, you know, an oxymoron, meaning that, that uh, you know, we forget sometimes that we live in an upside down kingdom. So it's really true that death to our flesh and death to our agenda, death to our ways, it always produces life, right? And the greater our surrender, the more freedom we experience. Like less of us truly means more of him. And, and I know that seems, once again, crazy to a lot of people, but I personally, I can tell you, man, for the past 26 years, I feel more alive, more at peace, have greater joy, have a greater sense of purpose than I ever did as a heathen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, listen, in fact, I'll say this, kind of funny. Uh, people ask, uh, you know, me quite often, they'll say, you know, what brought you to Maine? Like, y'all do know I kind of stick out here. Just a smidge. All right? So, so, I open my mouth, start talking. They say, where are you from? 
And then they say, well, what brought you to Maine? The answer is really simple, guys. It's called Jesus told me to. It's that simple. Like, I'd never sat back and dreamed about living in Maine. I never begged God to let me live in Maine. You know, I was praying, and he said, you're moving to Maine. So I obeyed, right? So listen, once again, because, because I'm his possession, not the other way around, right? He told us to come, so we did. And I want you to know today that we didn't come kicking and stre- uh, screaming, right? We came with a sense of purpose and joy in our heart, right? Doesn't mean it's always been easy, but when you understand your life's not your own, it's a whole lot easier to obey. All right? So, so listen, let me just say this. Kind of pull a page out of uh, Cultivate One if you've ever been. Uh, it, it's kind of like this. This is really what I'm talking about. I'm just throwing a bunch of thoughts at you here. Hopefully this makes sense. It, is I think this is unlike the rich young ruler that's you know, found in Matthew chapter 19. I, I think what I'm trying to tell you when I'm saying all this is, is that Jennifer and I actually believe that God had something better for us on the other side of surrender. Right? That, that we actually believe that things that we were holding on to, I absolutely love our church in North Carolina. Okay, I got, I got there's family that's there. there you know, nobody of, of uh, you know, this earthly blood, but the kingdom blood, man, I got family. And, and so there was something about when you let that thing go to understand that if I don't let that go, God can't bring something that's better to me. Amen. And so often, man, we limit what God wants to do in our lives because we're so busy holding on to what we think is the meaning of life. Yeah? So, so listen, I'm, all I'm going to say this is while there may be uh, times that where there's really, it's really hard to lay down certain things and it's really hard to give something up, uh, at the end of the day, I think this is... is there's many of, this, of us in this room. Man, we've walked with God long enough that we actually believe that his plan is always better than anything we could ever create or anything we could manufacture. Amen? All right. So let me give you two quick takeaways. Um, you know, I'm kind of saying all this for a reason. The, the first takeaway that I want you to grab a hold of is simply this. Is it that if by chance you're sitting here thinking, no one has ever told me that Jesus wants to be my Lord. Okay, I know that may seem difficult for some of us to understand there's people that are actually in that spot, but, but I think all we have to do, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but, but man, we, we are, how can I say this without sounding uh, salty? I'll sound salty. Here we go. It's this. It's like all we have to do is turn on the TV, and, and what we're going to hear a lot of times is the easy gospel, because why? Because easy gospel gets them money. Okay? And, and a lot of times when we go to church, we hear an easy gospel preach that, that once again, that's all about your benefit, and there's nothing about the lordship of Christ. It's all about him, what he can do for you. So what happens in those moments is people do that because they want people to fill the seats. And man, I'm just telling you, since the day I've been born again, I'm like, man, God, I want the real thing. Right? I don't want nothing fake. I don't want nothing phony. Man, I want Jesus, if it's you, I'm in. Right? And so, listen, so once again, if you're sitting here today and no one's ever told you that Jesus wants to be the Lord or the supreme authority of your life, uh, that he only died to be your Savior, right, so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you can go to heaven, uh, I dare to tell you today that this is that, my friend, you didn't hear the real gospel. Amen? Listen, listen, Jesus 
is not and cannot be divided. I said that last week. He is not and he cannot be divided. He cannot be Savior for some and Lord for others. He Listen, at the end of the day, if he is to be your Savior, then he must be your Lord. But the choice is yours. Amen? The second takeaway, and this is really what's going to help us go where we need to go for the rest of the day, is if by chance you're sitting here thinking, you know, Pastor, I already know everything you said. I've been in church so long, I've heard it all, and you've said nothing that's new to me. I know Jesus as, as, uh, wants to be my Savior. I know he wants to be my Lord. But the reality is, is uh, you know, in your heart, you know you're still in control. And you know that you're still in charge, and you know that you're still sitting on the throne of your heart in certain areas of your life. Sure, there's pieces that you've surrendered, right? But, but there's other areas. Why, let, me, let me maybe say it this way. Let me just shoot straight. We surrender areas that need, where we need healing, and we surrender areas that will bless us. But sometimes we don't do that well as surrendering things that are holding us back from becoming who he wants us to be. Okay? And, and so, listen, I, I just want to say that, that if that's you this morning, that you know that there's pieces that you're holding back, then you're the person I want to talk to today. Okay? And, and really, I just have one simple, simple, simple question for you. If you know that you're holding on to stuff, the question is this, is why? Why? Now, let me bring a balancing statement here, okay? Um, I realize that every person in this room, including this guy, is holding something back. Can I get a well, well? <laughs> Y'all ain't been to black church enough. <laughs> black church is well. All right, you get, we'll work on it anyways. All right. Listen, why, the question, why do we tend to hesitate so often when it comes to this word surrender? Like, why do we struggle with surrendering the throne of our lives? Why do we want to be in the driver's seat so badly? That's where my mind's been, like, for days. And i got to be honest with y'all. I'll just shoot straight here. I have struggled so greatly to put all this together. And I don't know if it's because there's a spiritual warfare intact with that or if I'm supposed to be preaching something else this morning. I don't know. But, man, this has been a, a tough road, okay? And so, li listen, I, but I just keep. It's like I, I literally sat down yesterday and tried to write another message. And I finally ditched it. And went, okay, let's go back to this. Um, because for the past couple of days, I just keep going around and around and around and around in my heart. Like, like, why are we struggling so bad to surrender the throne? And I just keep mulling that thing over. Like, I know it's our natural tendency, right? But I'm just like, why do we, as God's chosen people, why do we want his blessing and his forgiveness so much, but we readily reject his lordship in our lives? Like, why, Right? And, uh, you know, like, like we understand in our head, because once again, we've been in church long enough, we, we know what Jesus wants, right? We understand that he purchased us by his blood. We understand that he deserves more than what we've given him. We, we understand he deserves our whole heart, yet we still keep holding certain things back from him. Why? Million dollar question. All right, listen, I, I think the most obvious answer, and to be quite honest with you, the easy answer for me to give you would be this, 
Is that because we're selfish, we're prideful, we're independent, and we're sinful in nature? Yay! Listen, like Ben said, that is truth, okay? In, in varying degrees, depending on the person in this room. Uh, but, but listen, nonetheless, here's what it is. The reason is, is because all of those are just uh, undeniable characteristics of our old nature, right? And so, so there's this piece where sometimes, if I can get theological for a minute, uh, theologically speaking, there's things called positional truths. It, meaning, meaning basically God says these things about us, right? Like all these positive things that the Word of God says. That, that yes, we're his son, that yes, we're his daughter, that uh, we're more than conquerors, we're the head and not the tail, we're above and not beneath, you know, you know just keep going and going and going and going and going, okay? Salt of the world, light of the world, all the things that he says about us. And then there's us. So there's positional truths, but then the realities. And I think sometimes we are so, uh, like, content with knowing there's positional truths that are found in the new man, but we still are so comfortable in the old man, we, we refuse to walk that way. Like, we're just content. Well, that's how God sees us. And so what we do is we sing songs about it. We sing songs about it, sing songs about it to, to make everybody feel good about themselves. But the reality is, is the old man's not dying and we're not becoming that guy. And Jesus didn't die for us to stay here. He died so we can move that way. Amen? Amen. So let me just uh, maybe say this. Could it be possible that there's still more to it? Right? More to it than just we're selfish, we're prideful, we're independent, we're sinful. Like, yes, that's, yes, okay? I, but I, for one, think that there's more to it, okay? And, and I just want to explain, because this is where I've been mulling it over, and I'll admit to you, I don't have all this nailed down. Aren't you glad you're in a church where the pastor's not perfect? All right, here we go. But let me give you three reasons, and I may give you two bonus ones at the end, depending on time. Okay? Um, here we go. Here's why I believe that we struggle to surrender to the throne. Number one is this, is that we want a God who gives us everything yet requires nothing from us. We want a God who gives us everything yet requires nothing from us. Uh, listen to how the Apostle Paul described this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a verse that I've thought about for years. He said this. He said, do not become idolaters as were some of them. He's talking about uh, basically Israelites in the desert. And he says this, As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I'm like, okay, that's a weird verse. I think that defines a lot of people's view of Christianity. Let's sit down, let's eat and let's drink, and then let's go play. Wait for the light bulb to hit for some of y'all. In other words, what, what he's saying is, is, is people who think it's all about them, that the only thing they have to do is to receive and nothing's expected of them. It was all for their pleasure, eat and drink, and they get to go play. They get to go have fun. It's the benefit package, right? And so in light of that, here's all I want to say is this, is, is have we forgotten that we are called to be the bride of Christ, have we forgotten that Isaiah says that the Lord thy maker is thy husband? Like, so on that note, can you imagine being married to someone who only wanted to get from you? 
Literally, that every time you turn around, they're asking for more and more and more and more because they don't know how to be content and they don't know how to be satisfied. They're constantly just wanting more and more. So with everything that you have to do, everything you say, everything you do, it's all about fulfilling their happiness where, where you're expected to be at their beck and call. Jeffrey, right? Like it's that moment. So, so, so all you have to do is go and meet their desires. Like, is, like seriously, is anyone in this room wanting to be married to someone like that? Like, I would expect that even the single people in here that are burning would say, you know what, I, I, I would stay single rather than being married to someone like that. Right? And so the point is this, is there's not a single one of us would marry a person like that. So why do we expect God to marry us and us act like that? Right? More God. More God. More God. I know I asked for a raise last year and you gave it, but I'm asking again. Right? L listen, I, I believe one of the ways we become less me conscious and more God conscious is, is by actually giving him more than our sin. Please hear what I'm saying. That, listen, we've already established, if you heard last week, he's not interested in all that as much as we think we are. Right? And, and so why not let's give him what he wants? He wants us. He wants you. He wants me. Right? And so let's give him our individual, undivided love, our genuine worship, right, our adoration. Let's give him our heart, our commitment, our surrender, our obedience, and so on. He wants more than your Sunday, folks. Amen? Like, how often do we go, um, you, you know, Jesus, right, I love you because it's Sunday morning. And then at 1 o'clock, the dolphins play the pats and we forget who he is. Right? I'll see you next Sunday, Lord, because I got things to repent for. <laughs> right? So, so listen, what does Romans 12 1 say? It says this in NIV version. It says, brethren, in view of God's mercies. In other words, what he's saying is, in light of everything that he just talked about in the first 11 chapters, the plan of salvation, in light of all of that, it says what? It says, let us offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is our spiritual act of worship. He wants you. Amen? Listen, I, I think there's honestly loads of Christians who, who, Christians who want relationship without responsibility. And they want a genuine conversion without a transformation. And I want you to know that if you're here today, that you think that you can somehow walk with God, have a relationship without responsibility, and have a conversion without trans transformation, that you have believed in a false gospel. Because that gospel leaves you on the throne where you're still in charge, right? Where, where you're still playing the part of God. And that's not in the Bible. Paul never preached. Jesus never preached. Peter never preached. Going down like, none of those boys ever preached a gospel that was, uh, that was missing a transformation piece. Amen? Amen. All right, so here's the takeaway for me here, and I hope you grab it as well, is that we need to remember that Jesus isn't a genie in a lamp, and he isn't some wishing well. He's our master, he's our king, he's our Lord, and, and while he may call us sons and daughters, least us never forget, guess what, that we're still his servants. Amen? That has responsibilities. So in, in my opinion, okay, my humble opinion, is if I can get a real revelation of that, then I'll be more readily to go, you know what? <clears throat> Sorry, sir, I've been, I've been sitting in your seat. You can sit down, Jesus. Oh, there's the cross. Yep, that's my place. Sorry, Lord. 
That's what needs to happen. Yeah? The second reason we struggle to give up our throne is this. Is we have believed in an unrealistic view of ourselves. We have believed in an unrealistic view of ourselves. If you're visiting, it's not always this hard. Here we go. Just twice a month. All right, here we go. Listen, as, as much as we don't like to admit it, man, it would appear like uh, when you look at the modern-day church, man, we're not that different than the Laodicean church uh, that's talked about in Revelation chapter 3. Okay, he said this. Notice what Jesus said. He's going through the seven churches, and, and some of them he's affirming, but most of them he's rebuking. Okay? And then he said this. He says, Jesus talking to this church. He said, I know all the things you do. Hope you all hear that. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like a lukewarm water, like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Here's what I want us to hear. Verse 17. He said, you say, remember talking about a view of ourselves. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want, and I don't need a thing. Other translations put it this way. I am rich, and I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And then Jesus says these words, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Notice I didn't say naked. <laughs> Trying to improve. Yeah. But listen, can you, can you imagine these folks, uh, you know, kind of what they, what they had to look like strolling into church? Man, they go rolling in the parking lot. They got their latest new sports car, right? Uh, sports car. They're all decked out in the latest L.L. Bean fashion. You know, they're like looking good. They're grinning ear to ear, right? And they're acting like they got it all together, right? Believing they have everything they want. They've worked hard. They've accumulated wealth. So they got their house. They got their vehicles. They got their 401K. They got food on their table. Their kids are looking nice. Man, they think they got it, right? Yet here's Jesus. He saw their condition a little bit different, Right? In his eyes, once again, they were blind and they were filthy. They were unclothed and they were an absolute mess. Here's the point. They were so blinded by their self-sufficiency and success, they couldn't even see their need for Jesus. I'm telling y'all, that's a problem we have. How do you know? Because you pray more in a crisis than you do on a regular day basis? Man, seriously, we, we've, we basically have, have adopted Jesus like he's some attorney. And what I mean by that is we have him there if we need him, but we hope we don't have to, to rely on him. Right? They're there if we need it. If we get stuck, you know, if we get in a jam. But, but other than that, I'm good. And so we, we, we view Jesus as a necessity other than just something that's stable in our lives. So, I think here's what's wild. The, the, these folks that we're talking about here in Laodicea, they were, they were so uh, comfortable in their, in their uh, bank account, we'll just say it like that, um, that, that the bridegroom was standing outside, knocking on the door, longing to be invited in, but they were absolutely oblivious. Right? In fact, I think one of the saddest comments that Jesus made regarding the Laodicean churches, he said this. He said that they believed, and we said a while ago, that they had need of nothing. Guys, those, those four words 
uh, revealed the depths of self, uh, self-deception that they had fallen into. They had needed nothing. They were so full of pride. They were going about their business so well, they didn't even recognize how independent, how lukewarm they had become. Let me say it to you a different way. They were so, they were so uh, successful at doing their own thing, they didn't realize that they had been running for years and they had lost the presence of God. They had lost the anointing. They would gather, look good, sound good, preach good, but guess what? There was no anointing, no presence. Yeah? See, see the, the scary thing is this. Like, let, let me give you an example. Um, I, I have a friend. He, he, he had some uh, people come in from the Midwest. They visited him. He, he was... Um, he wasn't from North Carolina, but we all lived in North Carolina. And he decided to take his friends who, they're all, from, they're all city people, and, and they decided to go to the mountains. So they went to the mountains, and they parked the car, and they got out to look at their uh, chalet, their cabin, how great it was. And, and while they were looking at it, they realized when they turned around, uh-oh, the car was rolling backwards. <laughs> right? He, 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 he turned it off, but he forgot this thing called a parking brake. And he was sitting on the hill. And the, and the car kept rolling, and it kept picking up speed, picking up speed, picking up speed, until, boom, it hit a tree after it went off the cliff and hit a tree. So, so watch this. So, so what's my point in saying that? Is sometimes that's the way our life looks. Look how great we got it. And we forget that, in essence, our life is rolling down the hill, spiritually speaking. And guess what? And at some point, it's going to hit a tree, and it's going to get ugly. Amen? Amen. Park and break. Remember that. All right, here we go. Yeah. So listen, all that mind, I got a cruise, but, but I think it would behoove us to remember something that David Ravenhill said. He said this, so true. He said, how easily we deceive ourselves into thinking that what looks impressive to the world also looks impressive to God. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Amen. All right, so I, I think it's this. When we think we have it all together and we got all the stuff, we tend to think this. We tend to think we deserve the throne. Right? Because we go, but God, look how great I am doing. Right? And so to the point, it's this, is when we feel smart and when we feel clean, forgiven, right? And we feel successful, we tend to get comfortable. So, so let me just say this. I know I'm giving you a lot of extra things. Hopefully I'm not confusing you. Um, but I think at that moment, we need to remember Israel. Right? All you need to remember the nation of Israel. That when, when, those, when those guys obeyed, they had success. When they disobeyed, it was ugly, right? And so let me say it, but their disobedience was typically not this. Yes, there were times where they turned and just rebelled completely against God, but there were also times when they thought that they could kind of add their own ways in and mix it with God's, and it would still be okay. And I'm trying to tell you it's not okay, right? There's nothing that we as humans can add to God's way to make it somehow work better. Amen. All right. So, so here's the takeaway for me here is that we simply need to remember that every good gift and every blessing comes from above. So, so y'all listen. So in spite of how awesome your mom might have told you when you were a kid, like you're awesome in spite of what they told you, right? Listen, 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 listen. Uh, we have nothing. We are nothing without Jesus, right? And in fact, he gives you the very air that you breathe. Okay, and, and if that one breath in there, if you don't understand the moment he says you're done, you're done. I, I've buried way too many people, right? So if, if you don't think that he don't, he's not in control, something's wrong, right? That's how dependent we are upon him.
So I think it's the knowledge of how much I need him helps me go, sorry, sir, that's you. That's me. Amen? Third reason, last one, unless we go to bonus. Depends on how great I feel at that moment. Number three is this, is that why we, why we have a hard time surrendering the throne is because God created us in his image, and now we've tried to return the favor. God created us in his image, and now that we're, now that we're uh, so independent and smart, we've returned the favor. Okay? Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that all you guys are going home and, you know, whatever, down in the, in the basement, you know, building a golden calf. That's not what I'm saying, right? Uh, but, but, I, but I want us to acknowledge, man, that it's easy to lose sight of how big God is. It's easy to lose how big God is, right? So, so and I think sometimes when we forget uh, how majestic God is, uh, we have a tendency as humans to dumb him down and to shrink him down until we are convinced that he thinks, acts, talks, sees, and moves just like us. So listen, the words of Addison Bevere, John Bevere's son, he said this, so good. I, I couldn't said it better. He said, we don't want to mess around with a God who is other than us. We want a God who is like us. A God who can be controlled by us. We can't wrap our brains around a God who can reconcile judgment. We can't wrap our brains around a God who can reconcile judgment and mercy, anger and kindness, love and hate, grace and holiness. In other words, we tend to grab to hold of one of those. We can't see God being both of those. And then he says, we want a one-dimensional God, one we can understand and explain. And then he went on to say this. Please hear this. What we can define, we can confine. And in our efforts to define God, we have confined his expression to the extent of our current being. We've made him like us. But we cannot expect to limit God and still find things like unlimited power, unconditional love, and an overflowing life. It just doesn't work that way. Amen. Right? So, so with that in mind, I have a question for you, okay? And I know we're all processing. I know there's some heavy stuff in here. But this, this is what I want us to know is... Is man like, how can we fear God? How can we fear God who looks like us? It's impossible. It's impossible. You know, I got, a, I got an old friend from Carolina that, that used to say this. Um, she used to say that you can love God and keep sinning, but you can't fear God and keep sinning. So how can you fear God, fear God who looks just like us? How can we surrender a throne to a God who favors us or who is on our level? The answer is, is we don't. And that's why many of us haven't, right? And, and so let me, say it, let me say it this way. And that's why so many of us still remain in control of our lives is because we don't understand how big he is. Yeah. You, you see, I, here's what I'm trying to say. When, when we don't have the a proper or biblical perspective of who God is. We lessen not only his power, but we lessen his role in our lives and we begin to take him for granted, right? And, and so, so the misconception here that so many people believed is simply this, is that God's equal with us. And I want you to know, man, he's nothing like you. He's nothing like me, not even close, right? So, so consider these handful of verses and we'll see if we can land this thing. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Let's get a revelation. 
Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now let me give you an obscure verse. This is a cool one. I used to hear John Bevere talk about this all the time. Let's try to wrap our brain around this for a moment. In Isaiah 40, verse 12, it says this. It says, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who's held, some translations say, the seven oceans in the palm of his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers or with the span of his hand? What that means is that God literally measures the universe from the distance between his thumb and his pinky. That's how big he is. Right? And then it says, who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on the scales? In other words, who knows how much God knows? Are y'all seeing how much you're not like him? (laughs) Isaiah 17, sorry, Acts 17 says this. It's more lengthy. It says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in a man-made temple. What is He saying? In other words, we may not have a golden calf, but we act like the church. We make that our God. Right? It says in verse 25, And human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything, and He satisfies every need. For one man, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Watch this, 28. For in him we live and move and exist or have our being. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the hand, uh, by the man, sorry, Jesus, he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Listen, guys, we're talking about the God who created the universe with a word, right? We're talking about a God who made Adam out of dirt, who flooded the earth, right? Split the Red Sea, who made an axe head float, right? Made armies turn on themselves, turn water into wine, multiplies food, walks on water. We could keep going and going and going. But, but listen, I, I fear that in our attempts to make God accessible, Right? We've caused ourselves to lose the awe and wonder of who he is. Right? And and so I'm just trying to say that the real, the authentic, the living God, man, if we can, let's stop trying to predict him. He's not predictable. And he's never going to fit in our cute little religious box. He's big. He's God. He can do what he wants. Amen? So I just want to say to you today, quoting the psalmist, man, he's altogether wonderful. He's majestic. He's holy. He's powerful, right? And that is why we, as Nicole said, that's why we worship him, right? Amen? And that's why he should be sitting on the throne of our hearts. Yeah? Amen. So so listen, I I don't know today, uh, just trying to land this thing, I I don't know where you stand in all this. Um, but man, I'm evaluating my own heart. Like Jesus, with, what's in me? What's in me, right? What's in me? Y'all got a few more minutes? Good, because I'm going to take them. Here we go. If I was going to add something to this, it would be this, is, is that I think 
when you lose sight of the wonder of God and how awesome he is, when you do that, when you lose sight of God, you lose sight of who you really are. Okay, and, and, and what I mean by that is I think as God's people, we have forgotten that we, are, we have been sanctified, right? That we've been set apart. In fact, let me just read a verse to you. We don't, they don't have it on the screen, but, but to put it in context, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, For you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, guess what you get to do? You get to show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you understand that you're special today? Do you under, Listen, listen, please. Not from an arrogant way, but we are different from the world. Because God has put his hand on us. In fact, the best way I can give, it, give you an analogy, and this may sound so stupid... But, but when I was a, a first-year Bible student, okay, I lived in an in a old, old, run-down, ratty house. And, um, oh, Lord, I hated that house. It was a three-bedroom, and eight of us lived in it, okay? Three-bedroom house, eight of us lived in it. Um, if you were lucky, you got to share a room with one person. If you were unlucky the rest of half the year, you had four people in the room that wasn't even 10 by 12, okay? So it was awesome. All right, so anyways, when we lived there, guess what happens when you get... Uh, eight dudes in a house that are all like 18, 19 years old. Y- y'all do know those are hard people to feed, right? So anyways, so, so we, had these, we had these people in our church that were called MC Moms. Okay, that was, anyways, I want loads of details. But basically what their role was is they said, you know, we're going to adopt that young guy that, that's moved here to this church that's away from his family, and we're going to let them come to our house. We're going to let them wash, wash their clothes. Uh, we'll take them places like the grocery store. We'll make sure they have food. And, and sometimes they would make us food. Well, my MC mom, okay, made me a cheesecake one time. Come on, Jesus. You know she was anointed. So made me a cheesecake. And I remember, like, I, okay, discipline. I'm going to eat one piece today. Because I'm going to enjoy this thing. So I ate my little piece, and I, and I made a mistake, right? Because cheesecake has to go in the refrigerator, right? And, and so what happened was I came back the next day, decided to get my piece, opened the door, and I, like half of it's gone. And I was like, Phew! I was so mad, right? Because here's where I learned to rule in Bible school. If you don't write your name on it, everybody thinks it's free game. Now, now, some guys, after they got tired of getting stuff stolen from, they wrote Leviticus 19.11. Do not lie, do not steal, do not <laughs> deceive one another. Good wisdom. But, but, but in essence, what happened is, is if you wrote your name on it, you were saying, that's mine, don't touch it. And what I'm trying to tell us today is this, that sometimes I think we have forgotten that God has put his name on us and says, don't touch them. <laughs> Right? In other words, that he's called us out, he's sanctified us, right? That he's given us, once again, his name, and he set us apart from the rest of the world. And I think we need to live like it. Amen? So, so what happens is I think a lot of times we do this. Here, here's the way I view a lot of us running in life. Imagine me, David, and Ben, we all work together. And, and so early in the morning, break, 10 o'clock, we're, David and I are in the, in the break room getting some coffee. And David says, hey, man, I got this... Uh, hot rod that this old classic car that I am working on would you like to come and see it and I'm like I would love to come see that he goes awesome after work you can ride with me we'll go to the house and we'll look at it sweet man it's on 
come on, you know, whatever, da 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 keep working, keep working. Afternoon break, I run into Ben, and Ben says, man, I just bought this sweet new acoustic guitar that I would love to show you. Man, it sounds amazing. Would you like to come over today after work and check it out? Yes, I would love to come check it out. What's that, what just happened? We, now we get basically at the end of work, and, you know, and I walk out in the parking lot, and David and Ben are parked beside one another. You know, so, so here's the way most of them, so I know this sounds so silly, but I try to put a, a leg over there in Ben's car, and I try to put a leg over there in David's car. The only problem is, is these guys are about to go in two different directions. Y'all watch this. Listen to me. Y'all do realize that God and this world are headed in two different directions, right? And you've got to decide which car you're going to get in. If you want to... Live the life he wants you to live. You got to quit. You got to quit uh, making agreements, sorry, with the devil. <laughs> and then agreements with God. Like, you, 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 you got you to stop, right? If you, your flesh, you, you, you just got to get with Jesus. Amen? Listen, I know we did this last week, and I'm not trying to say we're going to do this every week. But, but I know I've been talking a while here, but, but if you can, just bear with me for a second. Listen, I think in the church we have lost what it means to just get with God. I think we've lost that. And, and here's what I mean by that. Like, in my heart, when I come to church, I want to meet with Jesus. Right? And I think so often, um, and, and we, are, we are guilty of it. We are so guilty of it. And I hate it. And I, truthfully, I fight this nonstop. But, but, but we fall in this pattern, this formula. Let's come sing our three songs. Let's preach. Let's pray. Let's leave. And we leave really just meeting with God out of it. Right? And, and so, listen, I know human nature. Um, you're going to roll out of this place. And more than likely, uh, by the time the, game over, the game's over today, you're not really going to be able to tell anybody what, what you heard today in the sermon. That's so encouraging for the preacher. But I got to be honest with you. To me, it is not about if you can get to Wednesday and quote what I said. I could care less. Okay? What I care about is did you meet with God in the middle of it and did he do something in your life? Okay? And, and so, once again, I, I want us to, to, to throw out the formula and go, go, let's start meeting with God. He wants to meet with us. Do me a favor, don't run out of here today just blowing off what you heard without allowing the Holy Spirit to, to run a, a, you know, a, a self-evaluation on you, right? Let Him run that analysis on you to go, Lord, uh, you know, it may not be any of the three areas I mentioned. Maybe it's something else. But to actually ask Him, Lord, is there anything in my heart that I'm holding on to where I'm still sitting on the throne and, uh, and, and not you? Can we do that today? So, Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. But, Lord, we recognize the greatest reason we're here is to meet with you. And so, Lord, we ask, God, that you would fill this place in a greater way with your presence. God, I'm asking that every person in this room that, that desires to do what your word says, to draw near to you, that you will draw near to them, and that you will meet them here. God, that you'll speak to them, you'll talk to them, and, God, you'll help them work through whatever they need to work through. Because, Lord, we believe that truly that there's something better on the other side of surrender if we're willing to do it your way. Way. In Jesus' name. 
Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.